0: My mother absolutely loved watching the Osprey. She was supposed to move to Bozeman with us, but passed away too soon. We are now here, and I think she would really appreciate spending a small amount of her ashes at Dunrova near the Osprey so she could continue to watch them. I mean, that tells you how profoundly connected they are.
1: This is A New Angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle, marketing professor at the University of Montana, this podcast is my chance to speak with cool people doing awesome things in and around the great state of Montana. We are proudly underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot Communications. Hey, folks. Welcome back, and thanks for tuning in this week. This week's guest and her story are so amazing. Suzanne Miller is an unlikely tech entrepreneur who inadvertently built a social media platform, and it's really changing people's lives. Suzanne and her family live down in the Bitterroot Valley and own Dunroven Ranch, a few years back, they installed a wildlife camera near an osprey nest on their property and began a live stream. Well, folks started tuning in, a lot of folks. And now she's launched Days at Dunrovin, an emerging online community with enormous possibility. She calls it a cyber front porch, and I'm excited for you to learn all about it right now. Okay, so we're here today with Suzanne Miller. Suzanne, thanks for coming on the podcast.
0: Well, thank you for having me. This is very pleasurable. Thank you. Yeah, so... I
1: heard about your venture, and we'll talk all about it today, Dunrovin, Dun, days at Dunrovin and, and all of that, um, from so many people around town just saying, you got to meet this this Suzanne Miller. And <laughs> I had the chance to go down and visit your ranch um, a couple of months ago, I guess, and, yeah. and, and mm-hmm. meet you. And and, um,
0: and your family.
1: Yeah, brought the family and kids. We had a fantastic time, and, and uh, you, you had a long path to get to where you are now. But just give us a sense of like what... what what is Dunrovin Ranch, and what is Days at Dunrovin? What are you What are you kind of working on right now?
0: Uh, well, it's a long story. It yeah. is a long story. <laughs> it's a long yeah, story. Yeah, yeah, um, Well, I'm a biometrician, and I've had a 35 year career working for Natural Resource Management. Um,
1: so we got a. I got to interrupt, like. What's a biometrician? You got to let people know what that is.
0: Mathematics is is applied to biological problems. So I did a lot of um, research in wildlife management and natural resource management. I worked in um, Chile and in Alaska. Mm -hmm. Um, As a child, I grew up in Butte, Montana, and my uh, great grandmother had a cabin south of um, Great Falls in the Great Belt Mountains, and when she built that cabin, she had returned to Montana after being away for a while. Okay. And she called that uh, cabin Dunrovin. And I played in that cabin as a child, and it always stuck with me. I had a wonderful life there with my family. Mm-hmm. So when I returned to Montana in uh, 1998, I believe, I bought a piece of property along the Bitterroot River, and I stuck up a sign and called it Dunrovin because yeah. I too felt that I was Dunrovin. And I had no intentions of opening a guest ranch, much less a cyber business. Uh, But one thing led to another. My husband has a large family, and we started having family reunions, and I started buying horses because I'm horse crazy. And suddenly. Is that a clinical
1: uh, <laughs> it a diagnosis? Is a, it is a diagnosis.
0: Yeah. I mean, you either are or you're not. And if you are, <laughs> no amount of pain or expense is going to keep sure, you there away. You go. <laughs> That's right. And ask any horsewoman that, and she'll tell you the same. Uh, at any rate, I started gathering uh, horses and building apartments because my family was so large. Sure. We had family reunions there. So suddenly I found myself with a small guest wrench, and I opened it, a guest wrench, and called it, of course, Dunroven. My emphasis was on high-quality horseback riding in the backcountry, and I intermixed um, natural resource history because of my background. Sure,
1: and you're in such a beautiful spot to do that, right up against the Bitterroot River. Yes. It's so beautiful.
0: It is, and it's so close. Mm -hmm. It's just right outside of Lolo. It's small, but we're next to a a big piece of state land, and I have the recreation use permit there. So our horseback rides go right from the ranch across the Bitterroot River and up into the sapphires, and I mean, they're really beautiful. Yeah. And then in uh, 2011, uh, the University of Montana approached us about putting uh, a web camera above our osprey's nest. We had an osprey's nest that was actually on an electrical pole at the time. Right. And... um, so they asked if we would put a web camera up, and of course, we said absolutely, we would love that. We're both biologists. My husband is a wildlife biologist. Mm-hmm. Uh, he specialized in um, bear management and bear research. Okay. Okay. And so we put this web camera above the osprey's nest, and I really didn't think of it in terms of other than any kind of terms other than scientific. And the first year, I didn't pay a lot of attention to it. Um, It was kind of crude, and we didn't have access to um, operate it. It was kind of a beginning. But by 2012, it was really um, a a powerful tool, and we had some 800,000 people watching it. And at the end of that... hold up. uh,
1: 800,000 people. Yeah. Let's let that sink in for a moment.
0: That's a lot. That's a lot of people individuals yeah I mean and they watched for you know 50 minutes at a time. Mm-hmm. It was compelling to watch very intimately this uh, group of uh, osprey raising their young. We called them Ozzie and Harriet how you know sure how, we're, how That's we're a original on the right? nose, but it works <laughs> right. Um, at any rate, at the end of the 2012 season when I went to turn the camera off because the uh, birds had flown away, uh, I got a, scores of emails and, and even phone calls and letters saying, please don't turn off your camera. We love watching your ranch. Interesting. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And my first reaction was, well, get a life. <laughs> <laughs> I did not understand this. Hopefully I,
1: that wasn't in your auto-reply. No, it was emails, not in my okay. auto-reply.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I left it on. Yeah. I just left it on. Sure. Without thinking of it at all. And then I became uh, gravely ill. I had a complete blockage of my digestive tract and ended up with three major surgeries oh in, the, in four months. Okay. And I had about a seven-month um, recovery period that I was homebound. And, you know, you can only watch so many episodes of Breaking Bad before you go crazy. Yeah. So I started watching my own web camera. Okay. And I started tweeting with other people. And suddenly I got it. I realized that... If you are isolated and home alone, it's way more fun to watch something and communicate with other people mm-hmm. than it is to watch in isolation.
1: And maybe something live. Live. Place-based, but live and, live. and unfolding in the moment yep. for that, all of you at the same time. an immediacy time. about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so um, my research background kicked in, mm-hmm. and I formed a focus group. I had 38 people from England to Hawaii in my focus group. And I, I took about seven months of, you know, survey monkeys and um, emails and a correspondence among all of us to figure out what it was people were interested yeah, in.
1: Yeah, trying to understand why try these 800,000 people are tuning in.
0: Right. And what I found was nothing new. In fact, it was a validation of ancient truths about humanity. Okay. People are people watchers. They love nature. They're animal watchers. They love reality. And there is that sense of immediacy about watching something, as we just said, that is unrolling, No, it's unpredictable. Right. No one's in charge. Mm-hmm. And uh, they loved conversing. They're very social. And so I then asked them, well, uh, would you be willing to uh, pay if I created a website that um, eliminated advertising and the pay gate would kind of serve as a gate against trolls and bullies, mm-hmm. and they said yes, we would. And so, <laughs> I set on a path to create this. Here we go. Here yeah. we go. And it has consumed me for about six years. Wow. It's been amazing. Um, I've had an, uh, innumerable technical problems, as mm-hmm. you might imagine.
1: We I mean, got cameras, like outdoors. <laughs> yeah, all of this. I mean, it's. It's, and and broadband infra, in, in, internet infrastructure problems, too. Connection speed's been a challenge.
0: All the way along. Yeah. I, I I added a web camera that exceeded my bandwidth, so then I had to go shopping for bandwidth. And that was a long, long struggle. I've, I'm sure. It was. I ended up working with Centrix, a lovely company here in Missoula. They installed uh, special equipment on the wa- Lola water tower, so just for me. So, wow. Yeah, and because I'm an uploader, not a downloader, mm-hmm. and so there's a difference there. Yeah. And I've got, you know, I didn't even know what encoders and, and all this were, you know, but I'm now at least verbally familiar with them. Yeah, I mean,
1: that's, I, I have to say, Suzanne, and at the risk of being perceived as potentially ageist, uh, <laughs> you do not fit the profile of the average kind of digital entrepreneur, if you will. Is that a fair assessment?
0: Boy, that is really fair. Okay. I just turned 71. Okay. Okay. And, uh, yeah, people would look at me and roll my eyes, roll their roll, eyes. Roll your and, eyes, and too, make maybe. Made me roll my <laughs> eyes, too. Absolutely, I don't fit the profile. Uh, but I have found a really congenial group of people locally who have been more than willing to help me. I mean, I could name several of them, but there's a guy in the Ritter Valley a guy named Ken Crepia, who really knew what he was doing technically and helped me immeasurably. And I had a, a young guy named uh, uh, McKinsey Cole and then uh, my now business partner, James Walsham. All of them have been really instrumental on the technical side. Mm-hmm. And of course, I've also had a difficult website. I mean, chat rooms and yeah, there's and, a lot to manage. and and broadcasting. So yeah, it was a... It's been a huge technical challenge. And because of that, I've kind of been in beta test for a long time. Yeah. But the advantage of all of this in being in beta test is that while the tech guys were trying to figure out my technology, I was figuring out programming.
1: Okay. What works, what doesn't, content. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Where to put the cameras, I'm sure.
0: Yes. But more importantly for me was how to engage, mm. not just watch, but engage. And so I took to outlandish experiments that turned, some of which turned out really well, and I now implement. For example, I turned to cell phones so people could keep track of me as I rode my horse across the river and up the mountain. So I would wear a Bluetooth phone around my neck, and I'd be talking to somebody in North Carolina. Wow. And everybody would be seeing me and hearing me while I rode my horse across the river and up the mountain.
1: Through okay, so this conversation is being uploaded onto your website, and people it's, can it's and
0: melded with the with, with the visual. Okay, so, so
1: you're wearing some sort of a cam. On no, your...
0: I'm not wearing a cam at all. My cameras are in the sky. Okay, they're they're a uh, pan tilt zoom high definition pan uh, web cameras, so they can zoom right in and they can follow me. Now there are places where I disappear into the sure. forest. that's part of the mystery. But that's part of the mystery. <laughs> they can hear my horse cross the river, clop clop clop, splash splash splash. They can hear me talking about it. I can say, oh, the weather's pretty. Uh, the water's pretty deep here. I gotta pick my feet up, mm-hmm. and so. Th- Unlike moving an avatar on a screen, people are moving a person. They're saying, well, go over here. We'd like to see you over here. So I go over there. Sure. So these are the kinds of things that I started doing. And uh, and I also looked at, at ways in which I could broadcast their interests and who they were. So I did things um, like our program called Fur and Feathers. And what we do is we ask a volunteer to send in photos of their dogs and cats and fish and horses and cows and goats and whatever animals they've shared parts of their life with, sure. and we broadcast the pictures while i'm talking on the phone and interviewing them much like you are me right now, okay, and so I ask them about their their pets and their the pets personality. Well, what this does is it builds a real strong sense of community. Mm-hmm. People really get to know each other, you know they get to know their children and their pets and all of that, and what I've come to find out is that having all this happen within the confines of Don Rovin has created a place uh, on the Internet, a place that people really uh, identify with. And I liken my uh, social engagement platform, and I don't call it a social media platform, mm-hmm. because this is two-way. This is not us talking to them. Right. It's, it's two-way. Um, my social e- engagement platform is really a portal where they come and sit on my front porch. Mm-hmm. And my ranch is basically the neighborhood. And I have found through experiments and through talking with them and surveys that I've done with them that uh, it, it, it's very much like a neighborhood in that it's knowable, it's mappable in your mind, They know where the river is in relation to the barn, in relation to the mountains. They feel comfortable there because they do know it. It becomes, you know, part of their own environment. Mm -hmm. And they become bonded to it. And the more bonded they become to the place, the more comfortable they feel and the more they open up to one another and to us. And uh, so much so that... Of course, people have come and visit. They just show up in my driveway. <laughs> uh, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all
1: the, hours of the day, probably.
0: Well, I have one couple who's come back now four or five years from Oklahoma. I mean, they drive over a thousand miles just to spend a couple nights yeah. here and then go back. And, uh, you know, when, when things happen, sad things, like a horse dies. Mm-hmm. We had a horse die this last year, one that everybody knew. It was the grandmother of a, of a foal that they had seen born. Okay. Really bonded to yeah. this horse. So that they, when it died, they uh, gathered up money and sent me um, a gift certificate for a tree so they could, I could plant the tree and they could watch it grow. So they're making my place their place. Sure. That's their tree.
1: Yeah, investment.
0: Investment. And again, like a neighborhood, you know, a neighborhood is a place that you can leave your mark on. You mm-hmm. can paint your fence. You can paint your house. And that's what they're doing to Don Roven, is they are making it their own by sending things and asking me to do things. And yeah, and you've it, done it, it some
1: sort of crowdsourced events, too. Was it the, the naming of one of the horses that was born on, well, the, on that's, the ranch? that's yeah.
0: Yes, uh, absolutely. And every year we ask Uh, Our members to name uh, the osprey chicks that are hatched. And this brings our our Missoula community to this larger community. Um, Last year, for example, uh, we every year do a a project with schools. So the kids are involved in in a science project uh, around the osprey. And um, so I asked our members online. I said, what should we name the chicks? And they said, well, let's ask the school kids. So I sure. asked the school kids uh, a class here at St. Joseph's in Missoula. And they suggested uh, the names after a um, child who was a refugee child who had come from the Congo. So last year's chicks were named Wakati, Congo, and Jombo. Mm-hmm. And so suddenly You've got people all over the United States understanding that Missoula is welcoming to refugees. Sure, that they're in our schools. Yeah, it sends
1: an important signal.
0: It does, and and it makes them understand who we are, and and likewise, Wakati started talking with people from Oklahoma and from Ontario <laughs> and New York City. And sure. Yeah, so it, it brings people together in some really odd ways.
1: Well, and along those lines, one thing that you and I have talked about, and you mentioned this before, like not employing an advertising model, yeah. you're able to, one, you have a membership model, so your your members are paying a fee to have access to the feed and engage in the ways they do. And what comes with that, too, is you've been able to establish some norms, but also some policies for, hey, this is how we communicate in this neighborhood, if you will, and... Um, I think you have some strong thoughts about what's appropriate and what you want as far as um, decency in your community.
0: Absolutely, and I'm really glad you brought that up because this slow maturation period that I've experienced has really helped me along that line as well. Uh, I think that cultural norms can be maintained easier than they can be established. Mm -hmm. And uh, working with a small group to establish them is really beneficial uh, and uh, I have one big word, and it's called respect. Mm-hmm. And you know, do unto others as you would want done unto yourself. And um, so we have that ver- written right into our our uh, website. That you, when you sign up, you agree to these. And at first, I monitored the chat and all of that, but I don't have to anymore. They monitor each other, and um, they're very constructive. We try to be gracious. Be forgiving. People make mistakes. They sure. make, you know. We don't want to just jump on people. Uh, but by and large, people are kind of blown away by how intimate they've become because there is this expectation that you're going to be welcomed, and you're going to be respected. And then I think the other issue is everybody on our side, and that means the Ovid side, who are kind of setting the tone and bringing guests and all of that. You know uh one of the things that we want we really strive to be is inclusive and and to make people understand that we're on the same level. We're their boots on the ground, sure we're not teachers, mm-hmm. we're not the experts. we're just having fun with each other and I jokingly tell people this is a whole bunch of seniors with high tech toys in a playground, and that's kind of the way we approach this well and will we'll like, try anything
1: yeah <laughs> and so that like identifies another very important piece of this is you, know, you have a you have a wide variety of audience i mean you just you just referenced your engagement with the elementary school kids at st joes yes. but you know what's emerged is that there's a community of seniors that are highly engaged in this in this content and this community you've built
0: Exactly. Again, my research side always kicks in. Mm-hmm. And I uh, interviewed, but, uh, not interviewed, but surveyed both my viewers and my members. And remember, I've had 800,000 viewers, and not all of them become members. And in fact, few of them have, and I've never done any marketing because of my technical problems. I wasn't sure I could supply what, yeah. I, was, what I was promising. Right. And so I really wanted to stay with a small group who experimented with me. But- uh, both of those groups have been interview- uh, surveyed, and um, the typical uh, watcher is a female between 60 and 80. Okay. Uh, they range all the way down to their 30s, up into their uh, 80s and 90s. Um, about 80% of them are female. Um, they, most of them are retired. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of them um, live in their own home, either with their spouse or alone. About thirteen percent of them live in group homes of some sort or another, but as I got to know who my audience was, I got to looking at that demographic. And of course, I'm I'm squarely in the middle. Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm part of that demographic. You are your customer in I a way, which customer. is something
1: we say not to think in marketing, but in this case, I mean, you you have a pretty good connection to your customer base.
0: I do, and uh, little did I know that. Um, Social isolation and loneliness are huge health factors among um, seniors. Right. Yeah, and I really wasn't aware of this because um, I have such a you know an active life myself. I've been very lucky in that regard. But the one time that I was socially isolated, when I was right.
1: sick, that's when you had your deepest engagement with the platform. That's right? exactly right.
0: Yeah. And then I I suddenly. I really saw what it meant to be socially isolated. And it, it's a driving force for me. I really feel uh, strong, um, very strongly, about bringing this to you know the population of people who are unable to get out of their homes for okay. whatever reason, whether they're young and disabled or uh, seniors, I mean, becoming a senior and, bec- and, and as your body ages, you become more and more disabled mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons and, um, this is clearly an important social environment for many of my followers i mean they 've i 've received incredible emails uh, from people uh, attesting to what it means to them and their lives and You can look at the statistics i mean the background web statistics they 're on all day mm-hmm. they 're on it every day all day, and they check in with each other. We had a a woman in British Columbia who disappeared from the chat, for example. And everybody got really worried. So one woman took it upon herself to call every hospital in, in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia. They found her. They, t- they, they raised money, sent her flowers, sent her cards.
1: Wow. So they found her. She was, she was not well? She was not well. She was
0: in the hospital. They take care of each other. Yeah. They care about each other hmm. deeply.
1: A New Angle is underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot Communications, two cool companies doing awesome things all over Montana.
0: Hey, this is Colter Nuanas from ESPN Missoula, and you're listening to A New Angle. It, it, it's, it blows you away when you think about it. Let me tell you another short story. We had one woman who died, and she was one of our most um, oh, kind of a leader in the bird world. She okay. was a, a birder in Central Park, uh, Manhattan. And uh, she gave a lot of information out about birds. Everybody loved talking with her. Uh-huh. Well, when she died, um, her niece called me and told me that her that she had died and said, I know how important Don was to my uh, aunt, and I wanted you to know that she died. So I said, well, where is the memorial service? And uh, she said, well, the you know, Rutgers Presbyterian Church in Manhattan. So I called them and I said, do you live stream? And they said yes. So we live streamed her funeral, and another one of our members took the train up from New Jersey and spoke on our behalf.
1: Wow. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, that you just don't find that online, online communities, no. that, that level of commitment.
1: And I think you're speaking to something that is really needed and valued in this community of seniors that you, that you've identified.
0: I think so, uh, and this was what drives me on to, to make this a really viable business. Yeah, because I think it's a, a really chronic, widespread problem: a social isolation mm-hmm. among seniors, and it's going to get worse.
1: Oh, absolutely! Yeah, you know, and then all you know the data about depression and and, yep. uh, and dementia and all these things are just so um, staggering that. Things like this, I think, could move the needle on healthcare outcomes at a very low cost relative to other things that we're doing right now.
0: Well, I I agree, and in fact, um, one of the um, The people here at the University of Montana in the Social uh, Work Department, uh, Dr. Keith Anderson, who is a gerontologist, Mm -hmm. did a preliminary review and just published a paper about days at Dernroven, and that's exactly what he said, was that it was a cost-effective way to address these issues at the individual, family, and institutional levels. I mean, more research has to be done to quantify it, but, um, you know, based on the surveys that I have done with my own clients, and then based on the testimonies that I get daily, just daily. Mm-hmm. I, you know, Before you and I started, I read one to you.
1: Yeah, we'll have to read that at some point in yeah. the conversation. Yeah. Go ahead right now. This yeah. is an email you received from a, just a member yesterday, of your community.
0: Just yesterday. My mother absolutely loved watching the Osprey. She was supposed to move to Bozeman with us but passed away too soon. We are now here, and I think she would really appreciate spending a small amount of her ashes at Dunrovin near the Osprey so she could she could continue to watch them. I mean that tells you yeah. how profoundly connected they are. And and I see why. I'm I too. I've become one of my own viewers and you can't help but you know when you watch these animals and you watch them struggle with life you become very bonded even though you know you're never going to touch this animal it's never it's, it's not a two-way street by any means yeah. they don't know we exist and yet there's a there's a real unfolding of life there's a circle of life there to watch these birds care for their young or to watch my horses care for their young it's it's just the circle of life so let's
1: let's speak to some of the you know, cuz what you described there is really rich multidimensional content and so you know, we kind of didn't speak about this directly earlier, but I want to just make sure listeners get that this is not just a single camera in an osprey nest anymore. I mean, yeah, that's how it accidentally started, but maybe give us the summary of the scope of the operations
0: well, here. Well, n- uh, we actually have five cameras okay. now, all right? We have four that are permanently installed, mm-hmm. one that's over the osprey's nest, and all of these can be uh, they're are all called pan-tilt zoom, which means you can zoom in or you can go 360 degrees. Uh, we have one that's over our our ranch, um, uh, the, the the corral area mm-hmm. where the uh, stalls are, so they watch the coming and goings of the animals. And then we've put one on uh, what we call the bench, which is where the uh, fields break over into the riparian forest. And this is a very important ecological zone, particularly for birds, uh, birds come out of the forest to seek resources in the fields. Mm-hmm. And so we've put some uh, bird feeders there, and, boy, they are incredibly active. And, of course, of they're messy. The birds are messy. <laughs> so the deer come to to pick up. Sure. And then the raccoons come to pick up. And then the coyotes come because the raccoons are there. And then the foxes come, and the squirrels are there. So this is a very lively Um, camera where you can see all this wildlife coming and going. For sure, And then uh, just recently we put a a camera on the Bitterroot River. And let me tell you, this is really being fun. This is a lot of fun. We've watched the river freeze and thaw and the birds adapt to the freezing river. We've got a whole new group of birds. There are wild horses across the river from us. There's a huge herd of wild elk that we often see. We see deer all the time coming and going. We had a um, fox family move in uh, last spring, about a year ago, and they denned within sight of the of the cameras. Oh gosh,
1: that must have been a huge hit. Oh,
0: six foxes, six six <laughs> kits, and it just so happened that last year's osprey chicks were incredibly combative and uh, fought over every fish. the The older fish, the older chicks. And we had fish falling out of the nest, so the foxes figured this out without any trouble at sure. all. And so it, some of our viewers man the cameras, and they get up way before I do. I mean, the people on the east coast, and even before daylight, they were watching the foxes come to the ospreys' nest and wait for fish to fall out of the ospreys' nest. It was it was crazy. And then we had a cougar come and okay. steal one of the uh, one of the foxes. Oh my. Yeah, so people saw They were delighted to see the cougar, but they were unhappy that the fox well, was the. Well, <laughs> that's nature,
1: I suppose. That's right? nature,
0: <laughs> and then of course, you know, it's it, we punctuate all of this with uh, programs.
1: Right. Okay. So speak a little bit more about that.
0: Yeah. And it started with a book club that I I created in, in collaboration with the head of the creative writing program here at the University of Montana, mm-hmm. Judy Blunt. Mm-hmm. Uh, we read her book first, and then she came out very graciously and discussed us, uh, the book with us. And ever since then, she chooses four books a year. And uh, we. It, it's kind of a, a crazy thing, but it's really fun. Uh, we have chat sessions twice while reading the book and during those chat sessions we create a discussion guide and then judy connects us with the author sure and either the author comes out to my house and we live stream or we bring them in via skype or whatever and so the people get to ask the author questions about their book and uh, most of the time we have the author, but sometimes we can't get them, in which case Judy finds somebody who's an expert in the field. or mm-hmm. She's just been an incredible resource um, to do this. And uh, it was so successful. People just loved doing this that I branched out. And, you know, I attend the Molly classes here at the University right. of Montana. They're just way fun for older folks. And um, some of them have really sparked my interest, so I I have conned a couple of the instructors (laughs) (laughs) into working with me. And so Larry Manch from the Montana Innocence Project, he's both a historian and an attorney, Mm -hmm. is doing a series on great American criminal trials. And it's really fun. You do a deep dive in history uh, around a particular trial. And what's fun is, is that um, everybody comes at this from a different perspective. And we kind of follow the same book club format where we look at things and we have some required readings and we watch some videos together. And then we ask a bunch of questions. And it's just a really fun way to learn. And I've done you know, some uh, things like I've had a photographer teach a younger photographer photography online. So, I know that sounds insane, but... Yeah,
1: it's like some sort of an Escher print, I'm imagining in my head right here.
0: Yes, yes. But what happens is he gives the student an assignment, and then the student comes back, and everybody sees the photos, and he critiques the photos. And people really enjoyed that because they could start discerning different aspects of photos. Mm -hmm. And And this is
1: all happening within your community that, you know... The the first reason for it to come together were these cameras, yet now that you've built the community, you can introduce all forms of other content. Absolutely.
0: We've even done – I had a guy out there who was a yoga instructor, and he wanted to do to build a a yoga Soheim Hill. I I don't know. You're looking at me quizzically. Yeah, well, I don't know what that is. (laughs) I didn't either. Yeah,
1: sure, I guess. What is that?
0: (laughs) What is that? I said, so it's a hole in the ground that you plant green in, and when you get down to the hole, you can see a sky in green okay okay all right and he would never tell me when he was showing up (laughs) and he built it with a coffee can he was an art student here and uh so i told my my followers i said well let's have boo sightings his name was boo tell me when he when he comes okay and then i found out he was a yoga instructor and i said so well let's do in a trade here you can do senior yoga with me of course yeah in the orchard right seven o'clock in the morning i'd get up go out to the orchard and he'd do yoga, and I had people all over the United States doing yoga with me. And then, of course, the automatic sprinklers would go on, <laughs> <laughs> or a horse would run through. Sure,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> Live content, and that's Live what it's about.
0: Content, and people are all just laughing like crazy.
1: Yeah, and so as as you lay out this, you know, y- your growth in terms of the, the number of cameras and the scope of the operation and the the, the the size of the community, and you mentioned before you're an uploader and. You know, the infrastructure piece has been a challenge, not just to find a service provider, but also dealing with municipalities, dealing with local government, trying to kind of get the right permitting and, and all that stuff has been another piece of the puzzle for you to work on as well, Right.
0: It has been, and those uh, of—many of you know that within Missoula County, I had my go-around with county government. Yeah, they tried to close me down twice and went to court, and that was very stressful.
1: Just give us the summary there. Like, what was the the basis of the attempt to shut you down?
0: Well— there was a deputy uh, county attorney here in Missoula County who interpreted Montana's subdivision laws in a very peculiar way. Okay. And it really said that if you had any separation on your property, like another building, that you could uh, lease or rent, that you had to undergo subdivision. Mm. Yeah, and that's a very onerous process. And in fact— well, It we, seemed
1: like— almost any ranch would exactly. sort of yeah. Apply, yeah would apply to any ranch sort of structure
0: exactly and there was only two counties in all of Montana that interpreted the the law this way yeah. but we got a foul of that and it took us um, three years to undo what the county this deputy county attorney was trying to foist on us went to mm-hmm. court twice and finally that judge said listen it's Missoula County that's wrong, not the Millers. Mm. And you know they said, you've been harassing these poor people. Yeah. And so we were completely vindicated. But boy, I'll tell you, it was a real struggle. All the time I'm trying to build this business, I'm also fighting off the county. Yeah, you don't need that. <laughs> I did not need that. No, no but I feel, I feel very good about how it all came out in the end. we did go to the legislature and clarify the, the, the law. Yeah, uh, we went all the way to the legislature, and our bills. It, my husband did this. I really need to thank him for all the work that he did. Um, passed like I think a hundred to nothing in the house, hmm. and forty nine to three or something. I don't know. No. That seems good. Oh yeah, it was it was overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: So and 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 we've we've talked about this before. Like you've worked. In your career, in a variety of seats, you've worked in the public sector, private sector, you've had a university affiliation. You know, talk a little bit about trying to navigate the world where these institutions or these 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 forces could, could work against each other or work in tandem with one another and maybe how we can make things better here.
0: Well, that's a really interesting question, and it's a really interesting dilemma in my mind. And I have found, uh, becoming a businesswoman late in life, um, that the social nonprofit world is very suspect of the business world, mm. uh, as is uh, the academic world outside the business schools. Um, so uh, in my own endeavors, I've come up with, with considerable resistance. And I think it's really counterproductive for all of us. Uh, for example, the reason I'm trying to promote my business is the social benefit. That's what hooked me. That's what made me strive forward. But I also recognize there's a big financial benefit to be had.
1: Potentially, yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's there's it's a very lucrative field, mm-hmm. a lucrative market. But when you talk to the business commercial side, they seem to be overly interested in the financial side. Yeah. And when you talk to the nonprofit side, they're overly interested in the social benefit side, not recognizing the the market forces that that would compel somebody like me to make this a business as opposed to a nonprofit. Right. And then you get government on both sides that that sometimes serve neither very well. And from my own perspective, you know, it's the three stools for our culture and for our our uh, civilization. You've got government and and then the the economic activity and the social cultural activity, and I I just um, on a personal level I've never really understood so fundamentally how they don't get along how they they don't they don't meld together and they are not pieces of a puzzle that fit nicely together, and I think there's been some very recent um, acknowledgement of those um, facts. Uh, what i 'm trying to do is create a benefit corporation right. and and that is something that 's new to Montana a lot uh, in two thousand and fifteen and that allows you to take away from the financial gains from your fiduciary responsibilities shareholders to uh, address social and environmental aspects mm-hmm. and that to me is the answer is to have you know uh, entities that recognize all of these um, parts of the puzzle, you know, government oftentimes represents the environmental because through regulation, and uh, nonprofits represent the social mm-hmm. through their mission statements and their goals, and business, the, the the economic, commercial, and I just think it's it's counterproductive to not have those three entities more in mesh, in sync with each other. And I I really saw this when I went to um, California last year to try to raise uh, money for this endeavor, for my days at Dunrovin business. I accidentally had a moment um, to speak at a breakout session with venture capitalists. And I explained, I said, you know, I'm a 71-year-old woman at the end of the road, at the end of the internet grid, who has inadvertently created this great thing. Yeah. And they were very impressed when I told them I had two million YouTube viewers. Right? Every one of them came up to me after and said, "Don't let venture capital near you. It'll ruin you." Mm, interesting. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. They said that. Too the much. The venture capitalists. The venture told capitalists you that. told yeah. me that. And it's it's too much emphasis on what they called pump and dump. Mm. Build a company. Yeah, build the return
1: fast. Spin it off. Spin it off.
0: Yeah. And that. That does not satisfy this, my social uh, uh, goals. Yeah. And yet when I talk with the, with people who are more socially minded, they say I should be a, a nonprofit mm. altogether. Yeah. And I just sort of scratch my head and think, gosh, these two worlds need to come together.
1: Yeah, and that benefit corporation um, designation maybe is a start. I know that... Um and many companies have used that in creating structures where there's pathways to that type of partnership, at least is a start. It it makes me also think about, you know, you referenced your kind of your slow growth model, and um, you've had time to experiment, time to build slowly. But along with that, that's a lot of time where you've foot the bill for a lot of this development, investment, Yep. etc. So where 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 are you at now with your process and, and trying to trying to make this more of a a viable business and support kind of the the type of technology that you need to to build the community you want to build online.
0: Well, I am looking for investors. Yeah. That's exactly that. That is the point that I am at now, and uh, very uh, luckily I'm working with the University of Montana, a Blackstone launch pad. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're very helpful to me, and I hope to get in front of uh, some investors. I've also started some pilot projects. Yeah, yeah, which are really fun and are helping me a great deal. uh, Really, craft this in a way that uh, companies who provide both in-home care and in-residence care can utilize this to help um, foment community both within residential communities and within, uh, you know, the clients that are served by in-home uh, health care yeah, Can you people. tell us
1: kind of what these... Pilots would look like. I mean, you don't have to. You know, you, know, you got client confidentiality or whatever. Right. But like, what kind of things are you experimenting with?
0: Well, uh, most of the programs that I have developed in the past six years have been focused on individuals with individual computers in in their own home. And now I'm working with uh, senior companies, many of whom uh, have residents that have no computer facility whatsoever. So I'm looking towards group activities, okay, as opposed to individual activities. And I'm I'm learning to successfully uh, navigate that. And the the groups that I'm working with, one group has said, you know, their attendance at group things has gone way up because of this. Yeah. And they've they've actually had relatives. Of uh, some of their residents, call and say, you know, Aunt James talking about horses and birds. Is everything okay over there? <laughs> yeah. What's the
1: story of these ospreys? <laughs> <What's> the st-
0: <laughs> yeah. So, and, and, and we want to bring the families into this yeah. as well. So I'm learning how to package this in a way that uh, can really support the enrichment mm-hmm. coordinators that that work with these companies and to, um, you know, bring their their caregivers and their clients uh, in the fold. Sure. So this is where I'm at right now.
1: So you're out there letting people know, yep. trying new things. Yep. I mean, it's, it's so inspiring, Suzanne, to see what you're doing, <laughs> but also just, you're just zest for learning, trying new things, and building a community that, is, that has that social benefit to so many people.
0: Well, I have to tell you it's not without angst
1: oh, I'm sure absolutely, yeah.
0: and one of the things I've loved about all of this is it's brought me into contact with other entrepreneurs and i I realize I'm not alone in my angst mm-hmm. The part of the entrepreneurial journey is not knowing you know what's going to come around the corner, how much to put into it, and when to when to say this is not going to work so there's you know it's not without its its dilemmas for sure. But I have found that it is keeping me young at heart, and I love the interactions I have with both my online community and the, and the community here, the local community. Sure. People like you, uh, people like the One Million Cups uh, group. You know, they've all been supportive, and I would not have come into contact with all these wonderful young people had I not been pushing myself down this path.
1: So, tell us how people can learn more, experience the the. the the product, so to speak. Experience the community, Days at Dunroven. How how do people find you?
0: Well, thank you for asking. Um www, Days at Dunrovin, and Dunroven is spelled D-U-N-R-O-V as in Victor mm-hmm. uh, I N. So it's daysatdunrovan.com. at dot days com. Uh, we do have uh one of our cameras operating on the on the home page that can be viewed anytime, free of charge, no advertising. But to gain access to everything else, we charge $8 a month, $88 sure. a year. And that gives you full access to all of our programs and all of our cameras and eliminates the need for advertising and and gates our community. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well— uh, I encourage everybody to check it out. It's an amazing site. It's an amazing ranch. Go visit if you can. Send Suzanne an email, and I'm sure she'll show you around.
0: Absolutely.
1: And uh, thanks. Thanks for doing what you're doing, and thanks for coming on the pod to uh, tell us your story. Well,
0: thank you, Justin. I greatly appreciate it.
1: Okay. Super cool and inspiring what Suzanne is doing. I encourage you to check it out. Coming up next week, we've got University of Montana professors Sarah Rinfrey and Sam Panarella, along with former U.S. Senator and Ambassador to China Max Baucus. Tune in and learn all about what's cooking at the Baucus Center and how what they're doing with education and student experiences is truly distinct on a national scale. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, part of the Michelle and Lauren Hansen Media Lab at the University of Montana College of Business. Remember that this podcast was supported by CED, Consolidated Electrical Distributors. These guys pretty much sell anything electrical you'd ever need, but they also hire a ton of our students. If you want to learn more about jobs at CED, visit cedcareers.com. Before we go, I want to thank some important peeps. Executive producer, Stefan Borsom. Producer, Aidan Morton. And interns, Aspen Runkle, Max Gibson, and Ellie Hanasek. Huge thanks to VTO, Jeff Ament, and John Wicks for the tunes. And finally, props to Jeff Meese, our master of all things sound. Finally, if you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. Help us spread the word, and be sure to use the hashtag anewangle when you do. Thanks a lot. See you next time.